Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Jarrett Parslow, who is the owner and founder of JP Diagnostics. Hey, Jarrett, how are you today? Good, John. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, before we talk about JP uh, Diagnostics, I'm curious, where did you grow up? I grew up in upstate New York, uh, Troy, well, outside of Troy, a little town called Avril Park in the country. Okay. The Massachusetts border, not far from Albany. I bet it got cold up there, didn't it? Say it again. I bet it got cold up there. Oh, my God. I remember one year in high school, it was like 20 below zero. It, was, it gets mighty cold up there. Lots of snow, too. So let me ask you, how did you get from that area to where you are now, to JP Diagnostics? It's quite a story, but the Reader's Digest version is uh, I joined the military. I was Navy. Uh, I was avionics for F-18s and stationed on an aircraft carrier by the name of Carl Vinson. When I was done with that, I got out and I went into the power plant business. Uh, and from there, I moved to the city to start this business. And I've been doing it ever since. So since 2011. 2011. That's that's pretty. That's great. And you're still going strong, which is great. And you probably have more business than you know what to do with, because what does JP Diagnostics do? What we do is uh, we search out any type of structural water leak and we source it. Uh, we figure out exactly what is wrong with the envelope of the building that's causing the water infiltration. And then based on that information, we can determine a course of action uh, for repairs uh, to stop that water from, from intruding into the building. So, so how did you come up with this idea? How does this work? I mean, so it's, it's complicated. The, the short of it is I worked on some, some cutting edge tech in the military and in the power plant business uh, with infrared and I had this idea where you could trace back water leaks uh, to their exact source with infrared, but also other data points, uh, kind of like a forensics perspective for the problem. Stuff like inf infrared, but you also have staining patterns and structural layout of the property, symptoms described by the customer. You put all that data together and it creates a holistic view of what's going on without opening up any walls or ceilings and then able to trace it back to its source. That's that is fascinating because um, is there anyone else doing this? There's nobody else. Uh, there are similar companies that do leak detection, but they're they're in a way primitive. Uh, what they do is they spray a hose uh, in the believed affected area and try to recreate the leak, um, but it's extremely inaccurate. It's actually so inaccurate that we've never done flood testing. We've never sprayed a hose to try to recreate the leak because it's just notoriously inaccurate. So we've, we do it organically. We wait for the area to leak. And then once it leaks, we have about 24 hours after that and up to about four weeks uh, after that, a window to be able to pick up the signature that's created when water enters the structure and track it back to where it's come from. Well, but there is nobody else. That's great. That is really great. Um, so what kind of leaks do you uh, detect? I mean, you work mainly in New York City or do you work outside the uh, 
metropolitan area? Well, when we were smaller in the beginning, we went everywhere. I went as far as West Palm Beach uh, to do a leak detection down there. Um, the theory was that because we were a smaller company, uh, if we expanded our area, we would have more access to more people, uh, which would fill the gap. Um, so we went to West Palm Beach, we've been to Ohio, uh, we've been to DC. Um, but now we really only take care of the New York City five borough area, some of Long Island, North Jersey, like Hoboken, Weehawken area, uh, because there's such high volume that we just don't have the time to travel all over the place to do it. But we are expanding the operation incrementally. Wow. Uh, have you ever thought about expanding from a franchise uh, standpoint? Yeah, we've uh, we've had that question many times over the years by many different clients who've taken a real interest in what we're doing uh, because we're the only ones and, and it's so new. I haven't really thought about it much. Uh, right now, what I want to do is I want to be able to create a system uh, that we can train technicians in. Uh, and then expand our physical operations here. We started by expanding the office operations, the support system that I have here. And then I do all the field work, the analysis and the report generation. But eventually we want to expand into getting more technicians out there. Once that happens, then we can expand our field uh, in all of Jersey, all of New York. Um, and then maybe one day, if the opportunity presents itself, we could franchise it. So when you say about teaching technicians, what would be like... Uh the time frame for that? Would it be six months? Uh, is there a process? I mean, uh, you came up with this, so you know pretty much what you're doing, obviously, and you're yeah. doing it well. Um, is there, what do you think, uh, how long would the training period be? I would say about three to six months, depending on the uh, technical capability of the individual that you're working with. Um, if they have a good, solid troubleshooting background, probably closer to three. And it would be more of an on-the-job type training, taking them to job sites and showing them up, up close exactly how it works um, without giving too much away so that, you know, it can be stolen in the future and not trying to prevent that, which has been an obstacle for us. It's, it's a real concern that if you give the entire formula to somebody that they could go out on their own and, and recreate it. So we're trying to make it so that they have the technician has a portion of the formula. They can collect all the data. And then the rest of that formula is in-house where we do the analysis and figure out exactly where it's coming from. Right. So you still control the secret sauce. That's right. Yeah. Just like uh, Coca-Cola has a similar uh, situation. Right. There's right. a couple exactly. of different people who have the whole formula, but no one that has everything. Now, what, what kind of um, leaks do you go around you know, uh, looking for, I mean, like, for example, today, I have no clue what you, you know, what you were doing sure. today, but I mean, just give us an example. Uh, structural. So anything that if you have a rainstorm and it leaks, we'll figure out where it's coming from. In the beginning, we did more of the pressurized plumbing leaks underground. And although we still do that now, we don't do it as much because we're focused on what we're really good at and what no one else has, which is the structural side. But if there's a pressurized plumbing leak underground, we can find that too. Uh, although that's not a system that's uh, been pioneered by us. That's been around for quite a while. So, but mostly structural. That's what I did all day today was structural water leaks. Well, something that uh, you had mentioned before was that uh, brick and mortar is they're they're pervious. Another oh, yeah. mortar can go in, which I had no clue. So what happens like, okay, you're working in Manhattan, you've got these large apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. Do they, some of the pointing, does it, you know, that's come loose? Is that somewhere 
water would be en- entering the uh, the building? It's not just pointing or the the mortar joints themselves, but just the brick as a whole will take in water like a sponge. And uh, the real issue comes when the waterproofing system behind the brick is defective. That's when water will penetrate through the brick and then go into the internal part of the building because by design, the, the brick will take in water and then it's supposed to be allowed to drain out through a system called weep holes. Um, most of the time, from what we're seeing, it's defective. They're not either putting the building up correctly, installing the brick correctly, uh, and the waterproofing is defective underneath uh, the brick itself. And in that case, we can track that leak back to the brick and the specific area of the brick where the waterproofing is defective, even though we can't actually see it. We can we can surmise as to that exact area that it would be that would be defective. Wow, does that so, make sense? Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to answer. Does that, that. make sense? Sorry. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I'm just I'm thinking about bricks. You know, like the, these uh, in Manhattan, the brick buildings. They have waterproofing behind the brick wall. Well, no, they're with the older buildings, uh, like pre-war buildings and, right. and wartime exactly. buildings. They did multiple lates or rows of brick. So you had three, four rows of brick, and that would keep most water out. But over time, as more and more water enters into the brick and freezes and thaws and breaks down, then those layers aren't providing as much of a protection over a long period of time. So water will start to intrude into the building. The new style brick that, you know, for modern day uh, technology, they do have waterproofing systems um, behind the initial brick surface that you see. And more often than not, they're defective in certain areas. You have a large building, you have a large uh, square footage of waterproofing application behind the brick. You'll, you're prone to mistakes during the installation process or just breakdown over time uh, because the area, is, the area that we live in, it freezes and thaws and breaks the system down. So, hmm. You know, I've, uh, when I've been in Manhattan, I've looked up at buildings and I've noticed some of the brickwork that, like, I thought... Are they leaking? What you were just saying about bricks having leak holes, yep. empty bricks, like there's no brick there. Would that be a leak hole? Well, it wouldn't be necessarily a whole brick. Uh, it, it's more of like a little slit in the brick and along a row uh, spaced incrementally uh, along the width of the building and then also the vertical of the building. So there's sections of the brick where water will enter, come down, and then drain out through these weep holes. Um, a lot of times we're seeing the, the weep hole installation, but no underlying flashing, uh, which would be the, it would direct the water out of the brick itself. If that's not there, then the weep holes are pointless and it doesn't drain properly. It doesn't drain. Makes sense. Yep. Total sense. Are there any challenges uh, sometimes when you do an inspection? All the time. Uh, sometimes you get <laughs> really caught all the time. It, some issues, most issues are, they can be pretty straightforward, but every once in a while we'll get a, we'll get a really complicated one. There was one in, um, that we did in Astor Wine and Spirits in, in Manhattan. And the problem was that they had uh, water damage in their hardwood floors, uh, but there was no exterior wall in the area. There was no dripping. There was no plumbing. There was nothing. Uh, and what we found was that it was one of the more complicated ones we dealt with was that they had a wine cooler in select areas of the basement where it was pumping out cold air. And what we found was that that cold air was meeting the hot air on the floor and condensing in those specific areas. 
So it wasn't necessarily a structural leak, but it was a condensation problem. And it was difficult. It took a couple of visits to figure it out, but we eventually figured it out. A problem that they've had for 10 years. 10 years. So, yeah. Yep. And we love like those. Sher- like Sherlock Holmes, you came through and said, ah, Watson, <laughs> I know the problem. I guess you could say that. Yeah. I mean, and those are the really interesting ones too. When someone says, hey, we have this problem. We've had, you know, this many people come in. Nobody can figure it out. We've been dealing with it for years. Those are the, the best. I love those. Yeah. Right. Because it's a, like you say, it's a problem and you find a solution. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. How do uh, how do customers find you anyway? I mean, uh, nobody uses the yellow pages anymore. Is it by word of mouth? How do people, you know, because you're you're working all the time. So ninety nine percent of our call volume is from referrals now. It wasn't always that way. In the beginning, we used Google AdWords, uh, word of mouth. Um, but now ninety nine percent is from word of mouth. Uh, we, we linked up with a couple of different companies. Um, I like to give a shout out to my buddy, Mike Hazan from Royal Renovators. Uh, he runs a really great roofing company. They found us, I think around 2015, 2016, they love the technology. They refer us to a lot of projects. Um, there's other contractors that we work with too, that do the same thing, but most of it's just word of mouth from person to person that had a great experience with our company. Wow. That's great. And we um, no longer run AdWords. I'm it's sorry. I didn't hear the list. No, no marketing uh, anymore. Only no. word of mouth. Uh, quick question in, in 10 seconds. Uh, if Do you ever have leaks in new construction? <laughs> yeah, every day. That's actually <laughs> most of what I deal with. <laughs> Jared, how can somebody get in touch with you if they had had more questions? Oh, you can go to our website at jpdiagnosticsnyc.com. You can find us on Yelp, uh, or you can call us at the office at 347-536-2971. What's your your website again? I'm sorry. It's uh, www.jpdiagnosticsnyc.com. And we're actually updating the website. It's going to launch in a couple of weeks. Uh, So the website you see now is going to be a thing of the past very soon. Fantastic. Jarrett Parslow of JP Diagnostics. It's been a pleasure having you on. And this is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting from the wonderful village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. Please stay where you are since we'll be right back with my next guest. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have with me Tom Unversag, who is the home inspector and owner of Win Inspections. Hi, Tom. How are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, Tom, let me ask you, how long have you been doing home inspections? Just about 25 years now. Jeez, time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still remember my my, my first uh, few inspections out there. But uh, yes, uh, time definitely flies. It does fly, right, exactly. So uh, what led you into wanting to uh, go into the field of uh, home inspections? Well, I had uh, I, I was in the Navy for, for uh, about four years, and I was doing nuclear power. And I came out, I was going to go work at the Shoreham Nuclear Power Plant, and they shut it down about two weeks before <laughs> before I uh, you know came home. So uh, I went, I always did construction. I always had, had a background in it. And a friend of mine was doing inspections already and he was doing a lot of commercial work. So I kind of helped him out. 
I was doing apartments and, and some homes and I really, I loved everything about it. I loved the whole concept of, of real estate and, and how each home is different. Each day is different. Uh, the buyers are different. It was just, it was just so much fun uh, to, to be part of that. Uh, so that, that's all it took. I, I really sparked my interest that fast and I jumped right into it. And you haven't stopped since, since 25 years ago. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so not one to uh, let moss grow under, underneath your feet. You've expanded your business by doing camera and uh, camera septic and cesspool inspections. Uh, first of all, can you explain to us what a cesspool and a septic, septic tank are? Yeah. So a cesspool is, uh, it, I mean, they're both very similar in, in concept where uh, whatever it is in your home, you know, the, the effluent will, will leave through a, uh, leave through a pipe and it, it's in this pipe and it goes to uh, one of three different locations. One, it's either a septic tank, a cesspool, or if the, if the area has sewer district. So it would go and go into a sewer district. So that that buried pipe is the homeowner's responsibility. That's all part of the home itself. Uh, the, the outlet of it is a different story. If it's sewers, it's on, you know, that obviously that's, that's a public utility. If it's septic or cesspool, that's also now the homeowner's responsibility. Uh, so a septic tank is nothing more than a cesspool with the square box, like a middle guy. So everything would flow to this square box of your septic tank. And then the effluent of that would now overflow to your uh, cesspool, which now is really called an overflow. They don't really, they don't want to call it a cesspool anymore. A cesspool would be, your overflow of a septic system. So every, everything would go to one location. So a septic, uh, everything goes to two locations, accessible, everything goes to one location. Okay. So so now um, you're doing the inspections via a camera, right? Uh, yep. And, and yep. so my question is, how were the inspections done before and, and how is the camera uh, an asset for you and also for the home uh, buyer? Well, because it, it makes something that's really invasive, uh, uh, non-invasive in some sort of uh, a quick sense of way, where the old school way of doing it was you contact a local cesspool company and they would come to the property. And a lot of times that the cap is buried, it could be two, three feet below grade. They would have to find it with a, with a poke in the ground with, with a rod, dig it up, lift up the cover and then look down and either pump it out. Uh, they wouldn't, you know, there's, at that time, there wasn't really any sort of uh, camera scopes or camera inspections. It was just more visual. Uh, and, and that's how the whole process was done. But by doing that, that method, one, you are you're disturbing the ground. Uh, you're, if you're listing the home, you know, it kind of makes, looks like there's an issue where there, maybe there wasn't an issue. It was just part of an inspection, maybe by a previous buyer. And then he decided to, to, to walk or whatever the case may be, or maybe the house got outbid. But the having the scope uh, uh, inspection gives you bet the both world. One is we're all, we're also looking at the tank, the septic or your cesspool, but now we're also looking at the waistline. So the waistline, if the house is built in 1960, you know that that waistline's been buried if it hasn't been changed 60 years, so six decades that waistline, and that waistline is put it in into sections. So in each section is sleeved in. A lot of times you get roots uh, that want to get drawn to it because it's a water source. It's like a straw. And vegetation need, needs needs water to go ahead and grow. And that's what the roots do. The, the roots from trees. And, you know, when you're building a house, it's nice. I'll plant a little new tree here, a shrub over there. You know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, the tree's now 30, 40, 50 feet. The roots have gone all over the place and they're looking for a water source. And a lot of times they'll tap that waistline. So our, our scope, what it is, is we go from the house on out. So we open up the piping and the waste trap. 
and we send this camera all the way through. And this camera can see the, the, the piping material. I can see if it's cast iron. I can see if it's PVC. A lot of times I can see where they've made some changes and sleeved into it. Um, I can make sure that's still pitched in the right direction. There's no bellies. Uh, it's it's not uh, dipped or obstructions. You know, you could get have a normal obstruction or a lot of times you get like a root ball. You'll, you'll get some roots in there. So the camera head will work its way through and then it will drop into your septic tank or your cesspool. I can see if it's full or not. I can see if it's cement block, which is the old school or precast. Uh, and more importantly, my camera head is locatable. So if you have uh, a house built in 1960, maybe it was three homeowners that that went through it. Well, that served that original survey with well, your location, or your septic tank or your cesspool is long gone. You know, that's only on the original survey. The only way I have to find it now is by, by poking the ground. So my camera head is locatable. It'll, I'll, I'll drop it into the cesspool, your septic tank. Then I go out in the yard with a wand, and then I mark the location of where your tank actually is. That's fascinating. Um, you know, uh, let me issue the question. You know, the, uh, the new uh, IA systems, the yep. innovative uh, alternative systems, yep. can you do inspections for those? I know they're recent, but still. Yes, uh, and uh, we have done that as well. Some some people didn't realize they even had them. Uh, it was just it's you know you would think you would because that system is a whole lot different than your traditional uh, septic or your septic tank uh, or, or your cesspool. So that that one there has one chamber and it has uh, uh, well actually one box but has three chambers with what's in what's in there and all the work is done inside that. There's metal plates in there, electric plates. You know it requires electricity. Uh, but you can locate it. I mean, it's not it's not a buried system. So so those th three caps are going to be accurate or a little bit lower. Um, but you so just uh, using the, the finder of the camera is really not needed. But yes, we've done that because more importantly, like I said, regardless of we talked before of, of where your material goes, that piping is the, the you know, which is I would have to say out of all the, the, the work I've done uh, and we do anywhere between three to five hundred uh, septic scopes a year. Uh, out of the percentage of those, 70% of the ones I have issues with is with the waistline itself. It's not the septic tank. It's not the cesspool. Yeah, you're going to find some areas that are full, but a lot of times it's that waistline. And, uh, you know, so even on a newer system, yeah, it's newer, uh, which I probably, you know, I mean, if it's maybe less than five years old, I think you're, you're you know, like a, a good rule of thumb, you're probably okay. Uh, but after that, you know, I mean, you're, you're using it. And once again, it is a water source. It is a water pipe. We explained before about, you know, vegetation doesn't make a difference because it's a newer system. You think the, the root's going to stay away. We're going to want to go. Right. right. It's going to want to go somewhere. So the camera head, well, we'll go ahead and look for that. But yeah, so it is a newer system. We have done a few of them, not not too many yet because they haven't really come up on age. But it will come to the point where people are going to want to inspect that waistline. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting what you're saying, because um, one of these things, uh, the IA systems have to have uh, maintenance. Yes. Uh, right. And so if people, I don't even know how you do maintenance of those systems. Well, that's why those, they're, that, that uh, box has those, those three caps. So those, it's almost like an inspection or uh, a maintenance port in, in essence, you know, so, so, so the company will actually open up them, you know, they can, they can manage the, the, uh, the pumps or plates, whatever they have to do to go ahead and maintain it. So it is, a system that is easily maintained. It's like I said, if you're dealing with an, an old cesspool, it's you're, you're digging, you're finding, you know, you're, you're uh, pumping it all out. But this system here is uh, uh, maintainable. Okay. Uh, another thing you've introduced is fireplace uh, flu inspections. Yes. Can you tell us about that, Tom? 
So when I started really getting into the the the, the suiscopes and and doing all you know utilizing my, my camera system, uh, you know, I had somebody asked me about you know dropping it down in, into the fireplace. So I changed the head, and I have a three sixty head that, that I drop into there, so I can get a full view of your fireplace flue itself. So it is, I go a lot of times. I will go because the camera head is uh, and and the line is uh, pretty lightweight. Uh, so I do change the reel. So rather I'm not using, it's the same concept, but I'm not using the same equipment. Uh, and then I'll send that camera head up and I'll check out the, the, the flu itself. And the same thing, I could check for creosole, check for the pieces, uh, the, the, the clay liner. If I see any areas where maybe that the clay has given itself up a little bit, or even if I'm doing uh, my normal, because I do fireplace inspections with my home inspections anyway, it's just a flu is something uh, on, on top of it. Uh, but if I see something on the outside, like maybe that the chimney uh, brick or mortar is given maybe halfway up, I'll, then I'll make a note of that. And I'll say, okay, yeah, and I'll give my tape measure, 25 feet, 20 feet up. I'll make sure when I send the camera up there, I stop around that particular point so I can see if, is it cracked? Is it, you know, is there, you know, some scale or something given up where maybe heat is dissipating from that flu migrating through your, 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 your brick and your mortar. So it gives you a, a good sense of what's going on. Or, I mean, maybe the, the, the chimney flu needs to be relined, uh, but we look for that as well. Right. Now, um, a lot of times do, um, can you see if the, the chimney needs to be uh, repointed? Yes. Oh yeah. Then we, we, I mean, the, the repointing is done. That's part of the normal inspection anyway, when we're on top of the roof. So when we're, when we're inspecting the roof, the chimney tops are always uh, a part of the process. And a lot of times people don't realize that chimney head uh, or a top of it, you know, sticks above the roof line, roughly two to three feet. And it's a shear point. So, I mean, what, what's going to hammer through there? I mean, we live in Long Island, you know, surrounded by water, four seasons, you know, wind, rain, hail, snow. It's going to start chiseling away and and, and eroding that, 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 that nice uh, uh, concrete crown on top of your uh, chimney itself, which is a protecting point. You know, that's why it's crowned. It's crowned so water, you know, hits it and then, uh, you know, rain uh, uh, travels away. Nothing, you know, pitches uh, or points to it. Uh, but yes, that that uh, crowning port is part of the home inspection itself. And there's a, a lot of times it's it always needs some sort of maintenance because it. Think, how many times have, you, have people been on top of the roof looking at the top of the chimney? Probably never. You know, I mean, I go up every day, you know, right. right. So the, the home changes hands. Uh, but we'll utilize that uh, if we can't get there on top. Some of them like I, for example, I have a 40 foot chimney that s sticks out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I can't get a ladder to that one point, but I'll use a drone. So I'll send the drone on top of there and I'll get some aerials of the chimney top that way. Wow. Okay. Um, another thing that uh, you offer is that, uh, and I think it's ahead of the curve, is pool inspections, where you analyze the pool water and the pool water loss. Yes. Uh, why is this important? Well, a lot of people don't realize when you're looking at the pool itself, especially home buyers, when you come in here, if, if the pool is full, it's full. You know, I don't know if it's if it's leaking. I mean, you could, you could stick a hose in and, and go ahead and bring it up. Uh, or maybe it was just recently just shocked because, you know, maybe it was just fouled or they just opened up real quick. So by me looking at that, I'm going to look at the, the, the pool equipment, coping liners. Uh, all your uh, ancillary equipment associated with it, you know, if there's any happen to waterfalls or, uh, you know, water slides, things of that nature, pumps, heaters. So we're going to look at all that. And then I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to do a water chemistry on it. And I do it right there on, on, on site. Same equipment that if you go to a pool place, I'm going to get the same numbers. It gets dumped to my to my phone. And then I set I have a program and I uh, send it off to uh, my laptop, which now 
lets you know how much chemi- chemical I need, if I need calcium, if I need alkalinity, how many pounds you have to go add, add to it. It'll also let me know if the pool is recently shocked. Uh, so that, you know, that, that, I mean, nothing wrong with that because, you know, all pools have to be shocked at one point, uh, but it'll let, also let me know algae level. Uh, so you can get, get a better scope of what's going on. It may look clear, but you could have some algae associated with the water itself. And then now the other portion of that is water loss. So the water loss testing takes roughly about 30 minutes. Uh, I do it both with equipment on and equipment off so I can determine where the water loss is actually coming from, if there is any, um, and it works off of a formula. And GPS. So the equipment works off of all that, and it, it goes by the weather weather for the past three or four days. Uh, if it's been hot, how much are the pools in the sun? How much in the pools in the shade? Tom, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but uh, how can someone get in touch with you, especially to ask you more questions about the pool inspections? Uh, they can contact uh, my, my, they can call me directly, 631-874-0011, or they can go right to the website, which is uh, www.wini.com uh, backslash East End. Tom, thank you so much for coming on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting in the Verdant Village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, 88.3 FM. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.